Now we give a warm welcome to everyone to worship here today, both to those in the church here and to those who are joining with us online. Now I know that the intimations have appeared on the screen, but uh, can I just thank uh, all those who sent what they sent up to the manse and also along to the church here for the evening fellowship last uh, Lord's Day. Uh, everything that was uh, handed in was very much uh, appreciated. Let's begin our worship today by singing to God's praise in Psalm 139. It's 432 on the Psalter. It's at the beginning of the song, O Lord, Thou hast me searched and known. Thou knowest my sitting down and rising up. Yea, all my thoughts afar to thee are known. My footsteps and my lying down thou compassest always. Thou also most entirely art acquaint with all my ways. We'll sing verses 1 to 10 of Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast me searched and known. <clears throat>
join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, as we sing these songs, may we ponder the truths that are contained within them. You tell us in that song that we are absolutely and utterly and thoroughly known by you. And that prospect is terrifying to consider because we know who we are and we just want to run and hide. But may we remember there are no hiding places for sinners such as we are except in Jesus. And we are here this day to bow before you and thank you that you so loved this world that you sent your only begotten Son into it that whosoever believeth in thee should not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you for the hope that you give to every last one of the human race. We are all in the same boat. We are all rebels against you. We have all gone our own way. But we thank you that the mercy that is found in God provided the the birth of a child in the stable in Bethlehem these 2,023 years ago. And soon we will come to the time when we will mark 1,990 years since the crucifixion of this child at the age of 33. But we thank you that the death of Christ is not the end. Because on the third day you rose triumphantly over the grave. And that's why we are here this day. You have given us a righteousness that we could not uh, conjure up ourselves. So we come as we are. And we thank you that it's possible. And we pray that we would bow afresh in worship and in adoration this day. Because you and you alone have reconciled us to God. And we pray that we would remember that this day is a constant memorial for the human race. To remind us that you created this world. But not only that you created it, but that you came into the flow of the human race. But it points forward to your second coming. And on that day every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Christ is in fact the Lord. But we pray that we will be here this day bowing already. Because we know who you are. You are the Son of God. And we pray that as we gather here this day. That you would be in our midst to bless us. We thank you for the sound of little voices in our midst. We pray that we would bring them up to acknowledge you. And to bow before you. We realize that we live in a world beset by many difficulties and many problems. We pray for the troubled spots of the world this day. In particular, we think of the, the terrible things that are going on in, in Ukraine and indeed other spots around the world. We pray that where there is war, you would bring peace. We think of our own political scene in the nation that we are a part of. And we would pray in particular at this time for Kate and Ali and the family. That you would bless them in the midst of the storm that they face. We thank you for a voice that speaks out and stands up for truth and integrity. And we pray that the grace that they need for whatever lies ahead, that you would give it to them. 
We pray that you'd be with us now and that you would enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Remember those who are struggling and at the end of the day we are all struggling for one reason or another but we pray that our struggles would cause us to hide further under the shadow of the wing of Jesus of Nazareth and all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now before I begin my children's address today I just want to thank you all the children who came along last Sunday uh, when it was our communion because the norm uh, has been that um, our um, communion service the morning one it was usually the, 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 the smallest morning service of the year our children uh, disappeared I asked you to come along and you did and uh, I know that Kenny, our visiting preacher, really appreciated it. Uh, and I know that the congregation appreciated it. I certainly appreciated it. That's the way it's meant to be. God makes that very clear um, in the Bible. It was lovely seeing so many children. Now, a wee story I'm going to tell you that ties in with uh, the communion last Lord's Day. We have two dogs. Well, they're not really our dogs. They're Amy's dogs. We just get the job of looking after them when she's away in Edinburgh. But Tessa's the older one. Nell's the younger one. Tessa had something wrong, a wee thing uh, wrong in her nose. So I took her along to the vet at Baloch uh, the other day and uh, he gave me a course of, um, of tablets for her. And they're doing the job. The whole thing is, 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 uh, is fixing its itself on, on, on the basis of the medication on the, the basis of the tablets but you know these dogs they won't take the tablets if you just give them to them they obviously don't taste the way they would like them to taste so they won't eat them so what I have to do is I have to get a bit of cheese and push the tablet into the cheese and then I just throw it and she just gobbles it up and there are th three tablets she takes each morning and three tablets each, each evening uh, and sometimes it's a bit of bread and I just roll up the bit of bread and, and she just gobbles up the tablet hidden inside the bread and that's exactly what I did this morning after I fed the dogs uh, she came through no she didn't come through I'm wrong I fed the dogs but I completely forgot to give her her tablets and I don't know what I was doing, but uh, I did for a while. And then I came into the kitchen, and she, she looked at me, and I thought, I felt so guilty. I thought, oh, what have I done wrong? <laughs> and then the penny dropped. She's got so used to getting her tablets that she's looking for them. And she, just, she just gave me a look, and I thought, what's wrong? And then I realized, oh, I've forgotten to give you your, uh, your tablets. Now, do you see what has happened there? Without saying a single word, she communicated something to me. That's just the way things are. Sometimes we communicate with one another and we don't use words. You know, if somebody did this to you, I think we would get the message pretty soon. And if somebody did that to you, I think we would get the message pretty soon. Now, last Sunday on the table here, there was bread and there was wine. 
And these symbols, they speak to us. They speak to us about Jesus' body being broken, and they speak to us about Jesus' blood being shed. And you think, why on earth did that have to happen? And that had to happen because we are sinners. But God has done something to sort out our sins. And that's why we're here today. We are here to worship God. A God who not only speaks to us using words, but who does it in other ways as well. He uses these symbols, the bread and the wine. And I hope we're all here today, not just listening to God, but that we're all here believing in God and trusting in Jesus. That's my hope and prayer. Now let's sing again to God's praise in Psalm number 40. Psalm number 40, it's page 259 in the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song. I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear. At length to me he did incline my voice and cry to hear. He took me from a fearful pit and from the miry clay and on a rock he set my feet establishing my way. We'll sing down to the end of the double verse 5. I waited for the Lord my God.
Now let's read God's word as we find it in Luke's Gospel and at chapter 23. And we'll read at the beginning of the chapter. Then the whole company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. When he learned that he belonged to the Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the women and of there and there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them Jesus said <coughs> Excuse me, daughters of Jerusalem. Do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. 
For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fallen us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with them. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, as we read these passages of scripture, may we stop and ponder. And may we observe what's going on. We realize that sometimes we come to your word and uh, we are just so blind. But we pray that you would fulfill the promise that where two or three are gathered together in the Lord's name, that you would be there in the midst to bless. We have nothing to woo you with. Nothing. We have forfeited everything. Indeed, it's the very opposite. There are so many things in our lives that would cause you to shun us. But we ask you to come in your mercy and to deal with us in your love and uh, compassion. That's our only hope. But that is a great hope. That is why you came into this world. You did not come to attend to the needs of the whole. You are the great physician who came to attend to the needs of the broken. Those who are broken in their bodies, those who are broken in their minds, and those who are broken in their souls. And the reality is, we're all in that boat. Every last one of us. And so we come and we pray that you'd come in amongst us and that you'd Take the word that we are exploring this day and you'd make it living and powerful in our experience. And what we pray for ourselves, we pray for our loved ones, wherever they might be across the globe this day. Our earnest prayer is that we will all be together with you 
in the great beyond. Please help us to trust in you. We remember those in our midst who are mourning the loss of loved ones. Be with them, we pray. Succor them and comfort them. We remember others who would be here today if they could, but who cannot. Be a blessing to them where they are. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's Psalm number 107. And we'll sing from verse 23. Psalm 107 uh, at, at verse 23. Who go to sea in ships, and in great waters trading be, within the deep these men God's works. And his great wonders see. For he commands. And forth in haste the stormy tempest flies. Which makes the sea with rolling waves. Aloft to swell and rise. We'll sing verses 23 to 28. Who go to sea in ships. few moments to the passage that we've read in 
Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, and we'll read again at verse 43. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something more of this area of Scripture. We are carrying on uh, on our Easter theme, and we've looked at this particular area of scripture uh, on two occasions prior to um, our communion services and I would like uh, to come back to it today because this interaction between Jesus of Nazareth and indeed two thieves but we're going to look in particular at his interaction with this thief that we know of as the saved thief this interaction gives hope to the whole of the human race it doesn't matter who we are, doesn't matter what we have done, there is hope found for us in Jesus of Nazareth. And that's another way of saying that there is hope found for us in God himself. Because as I said in my prayer earlier on, God so loved this world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting uh, life. Now the, the thief asks Jesus to remember him and the words of our text are the reply that Jesus gives to him. Truly I say to you today you will be with me in paradise. And I want to look a bit more closely at this and I want to look at it in terms of two negatives in the experience of this individual and then to look at uh, two positives. And the two negatives are this, his rebellion against God firstly and then secondly, his rejection of the Saviour, right up until this point in his life. And then the two positives are this, the request to Jesus. And then the second positive is this, his reception into glory, because that's what it's all about. So first of all, rebellion against God. Now we know that this man was in rebellion against God from his own words because he says to his partner in crime do you not fear God and the implication is this as I do and then he says we are getting we are receiving the just reward of our deeds in other words he has no argument with what is happening to him now that is remarkable because crucifixion was a Roman form of punishment. It was, it was to execute somebody in an exceedingly painful manner. I mean, where, where, where there are countries where capital punishment is still on the go, people can be executed quite swiftly. It all depends on the method of execution. So there were other options at the disposal of uh, the Roman government who were indeed in charge in the land of Israel. The Jews are not uh, ruling their own country. They have a, a kind of degree of, uh, of rule. But at the end of the day, the Romans have conquered and um, they are the ones who are uh, calling the shots. But they have reserved this form of execution for the very worst of, uh, of criminals 
so that they die not a quick death, so that it's prolonged and it's um, exceedingly tortuous and exceedingly uh, painful. But he says himself, he has no argument with this. The justice system of the day has caught up with him and he is going to be executed. He's in the process of being executed. And it is remarkable that he's saying, I don't really have an argument with this. We are getting the just reward of our deeds. Now I think that tells us this. That whatever was in his life, there was a lot of rebellion against God. You don't say things like that in a situation like this unless you've got a pretty serious record. But I want to remember this, just in case we're getting things wrong here. We don't have to be involved in serious crime, or we don't have to break a particular, you know, we don't have to, Barabbas in this particular passage of scripture was involved in an insurrection, and he seems to have carried out at least one murder in his insurrection. Now that's a serious breach of the law of God. Thou shalt not kill But let's not think for one second that it's these serious breaches of the law of God that make up real rebellion against God. Do you remember how Jesus came along and interpreted the law of God? Now when we talk about the law of God, in summary it's found in the Ten Commandments. But the whole of the Bible is enfleshing, if you like, the Ten Commandments. If we want to know what the Ten Commandments are really about, we read from Genesis to Revelation and we pull in the whole, uh, the whole of the Scriptures. And many of us make up our own understanding of what an infraction of the law might be. We determine in our own thinking, well, that's sinful, but that's not. And you know what? We have a very great capacity for spotting sin, what we would call sinful things in the lives of others. And the exact same things are in our own lives. But we have a great capacity to oversee that and to excuse ourselves when we're not willing to excuse others. But you know, when Jesus comes along and he gives his own interpretation... Of uh, the Ten Commandments. It's really pretty devastating stuff. You know as far as thou shalt not kill. Sometimes we think well you've actually got to kill somebody physically. To have broken that commandment. Jesus comes along and he says. If you're angry with somebody without a just cause. You've broken that commandment. Now let's remember this. There are situations in life's journey where it would be wrong for a believer not to be angry. There is such a thing as righteous anger. You get it in God. You get it in Jesus. There there is such a thing as wholesome and righteous anger. Now the trouble with us is this. That very often our anger is warped by our own maliciousness and our own malevolence. You don't get that in God. You don't get that in God. 
But there are situations where it would be wrong for somebody who is a believer not uh, to be angry. You know, sometimes you get people and we talk about them, you know, they're so laid back, they're almost horizontal and nothing at all bothers them. Nothing in all the world. That shouldn't be the way with a Christian. There are things that should bother uh, a believer, that should bother um, a Christian. And, and as far as the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, you remember what Jesus said about that? We think, you know, you've got to be engaged in the physical act of uh, being adulterous in order to break that commandment. And Jesus says, if you look on a woman lustfully, you've broken that commandment. And it works the other way around. If you look at a man, lustfully you broke. And you know, when you come with that level of understanding of what the law of God is about, it's, it's so devastating. Because there's not a single one of us is left with a leg to stand on. But this is the glory of the good news of the gospel. Jesus came to seek and to save people who don't have a leg to stand on. And it is just so important for us eh, to grasp that. And you know, here's a problem that believers run into. Where the working of the Spirit in the life of somebody who has been regenerated is taking place. Some, well, not just sometimes. This is always the case. But it's progressive. You get an insight into who you really are. And part of that getting an insight into who you really are, enabled by the Spirit of God, is that you can look back on areas of your life where you were quite comfortable with them. But that's no longer the case. And the reason that you are now no longer comfortable with it is you realize that there was a kind of blindness about that you didn't realize what you were really up to, what you were really saying, and what you were really thinking. And that can get people really low in the water. People can end up, believers can end up really down about these things. Well, you know, if that kind of thing is going on, Here is is a positive. That kind of thing goes on in the life of the believer. So so turn the whole thing in its head and say to yourself, well, this is happening because I am a believer. But in the midst of your belief, let's remember this. Let's remember this very area of scripture. He came to seek and to save not those who are whole, but people who are defective. People who are flawed. People who are sinners. And when we grasp that, we will find solace. We will find peace in our souls. But I'm back to this man. He lived out his days, right up until this point in time, in complete and utter rebellion against God. And for all I know, Maybe you are here today and you've lived out every last moment of your life in complete and utter rebellion against God. Maybe you are here today and you haven't 
bowed the knee to Christ the King yet. Maybe that's the way it is with you. But it wasn't just that he had lived out his days in rebellion against God. There was more to it than that. There was a particular rejection of Christ. Now how do we know that? Well we don't know it from this area of scripture that we've read. Because we just read of one of the thieves reviling Jesus and saying to him. If you are who you say you are get us down from these crosses. But we go to another area of scripture and it's perfectly clear that from the outset of the crucifixion process both these men were doing the exact same thing. They were both reeling on Jesus and they were both saying to him, if you are who you say you are, get us down from these crosses. Now what does that tell us? Well it tells us this. It's a little word. It's only made up of two letters. It's the word if. And it tells us this about this man. At least at the initial stages of the crucifixion process. He did not believe that Christ was who he said he was. Now it's not that he didn't know about Jesus. He must have known about Jesus. For him to be saying, if you are who you say you are, do something about our plight. And you know what? We're not going to be critical of him for being in the kind of panic that he's in right now. Because he knows that if the process continues, he's only got a very short time left in this world. Death is staring him in the face. And he's beginning to panic. But I don't think we're going to be critical of him for, for that. But he does know who Jesus claims to be. And remember who Jesus really is. He is God's solution to your plight and mine. If we listen to him and we trust him and we believe in him. But there's the problem. He doesn't. He actually doesn't believe. And there is something... There is something so sad about people. Well, there's something so sad about people just in general not accepting God's solution to the plight we find ourselves in. But there is something particularly sad about seeing someone come to the end of life's journey and they still don't accept God's resolution uh, to the problem of sin. And I do hope that it creates pangs in our own hearts. And I do hope it creates tears in our own experience. Even if not literal tears, then tears of the heart. I hope that we look around the communities that we find ourselves in and do what Jesus did as he came down the side of the Mount of Olives for the very last time and observed a community that would slaughter him. He beheld the city and he wept over it. He wept over it. But right up until this point in time, this man is rejecting, he is rejecting a Christ. But these are the negatives in his experience. 
But it's all change. It's all change. After a period of silence and a period of deep and profound reflection, something happens in this man's situation. And of course there is mystery as to what's going on. You know, every single one of us here today who are believers, we don't understand it all. We haven't fathomed it all out. There is a degree of mystery as to what happens in our experience and in our relationship with God. But it's not all mystery. It's not all mystery. He realizes who he is. And he realizes for the first time in his life who Christ really is. But that's not enough. And that's never enough. I mean, you may be here today and you know what you're like. You know, the song that we began with today, O Lord, thou hast me searched and known. Nobody knows us quite like the Lord knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. But if we set the Lord aside just now, nobody knows you the way you know yourself. And that's true of me eh, as well. In our heart of hearts, we have a deeper knowledge of ourselves than, than any other human being. And he, this man, is upfront and honest with himself. But it's not just that he's upfront and honest with himself. He acknowledges who Jesus is. But there's more to it than that. This man cries out to God because he's effectively, when he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom, that's effectively a prayer. It's not a long prayer, it's not a convoluted prayer. It's basic and it's simple and it's to the point, but it's absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential. And you know, I find it quite astonishing that we don't know how many people were around the scene of Calvary when Christ was being crucified, but there were many people. You know, the church leaders were there, church leaders of the day, and all they could see was a man who had great dreams and great aspirations. But they're all in smithereens now. Even Pontius Pilate, all he says is, Behold the man. And I think what Pilate is trying to do in, when he's saying, Behold the man, he's just a man. And he's bleeding to death. And he's nailed to these that piece of wood and it's just all so so pathetic that's what it all is many of these church leaders just saw a man with all his dreams and smithereens and they were glad of that because this man had been a thorn in their flesh and this man had affected their power and their influence and their position. And they think, we're going to get it all back now. We're going to get it all back now. But they didn't bank on what was going to happen on the third day. But it shouldn't have been a surprise to them. 
But then neither did the disciples bank on what was going to happen the third day. And again, it shouldn't have been a surprise to them because Jesus was up front and open all along. I'm going to die, but I will rise again. And they laughed him to scorn and they mocked him and ridiculed him. Utterly and absolutely. But here he is and uh, he's crying out. But it's not to a man he's crying. It's a king. And you think, what's kingly about him? What's kingly about him is the blood and the sweat drip down from these pieces of wood. There's nothing kingly about that. Well, it all depends what kind of king you're talking about. And you see, the penny has dropped in this man's experience. It's dawned on him that this is God's remedial way, that this is God's solution, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. But what kind of world is he reconciling? It's a brutal world. It's a fallen world. It's a flawed world. It's a depraved world. And God doesn't take sin and say, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. If you read uh, Murray's... It's gone. Um, Redemption accomplished and applied. He gives you uh, there the necessity of the atonement. You know, some people believe that God had options as to how he would deal with sin. I don't think he did. There was one way, and there was one way only. And it's the way of Calvary. It's the way of the cross. Justice demands that sin be dealt with. Here is the glory of the gospel. You and I can be the greatest sinners in the world. He stands in our stead. And he takes it for us. And that's what this man has appreciated for the first time on life's journey. And his appreciation causes him to cry out from the depth of his need. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And that leads me on to the second positive which is reception into glory. It's, it's mind-blowing stuff this. Because this man on this very day enters glory with Christ. Now that has to be qualified. Because we know that the body of Jesus was taken down by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And good on them. Good on them for nailing their colours to the mast. I mean these men were the equivalent of MPs, MSPs in our uh, culture. It was a dangerous thing to do. Because look at what they had done to Jesus. Why were these disciples in a locked room when Jesus came first post-resurrection appearance to them at least ten of them because they were just so afraid and there are things out there that make us so afraid at times just the sheer venom and the opposition but they came to the fore Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus Pilate can we take that body down and can we give him decency and dignity in his death? And they did it. And let's remember this. 
Joseph of Arimathea all his days up until that point of time followed Jesus secretly for fear of the Jews. Sometimes it's appropriate not to be in the faces of others but to be doing things low-key. We have to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. What you do in one given situation may be very, very different what you might do in another uh, situation. But they give decency and dignity to Jesus in his body. That's where the body of Jesus is. His soul is in heaven. We don't know what happened to the body of this thief. We're not told. But we do know what happened to his soul. His soul that day was in heaven with Christ's soul. Now they will come at Jesus himself, his body and soul, in heaven at this very moment in time. Not the thief. When Jesus comes back to this world for a second time, the thief will, body and soul, enter into heaven itself. That's the glory that we look forward to. That's why when people die, their bodies are still very important. Because although the body may turn into dust, there is still a connection between the new bodies that we are going to have and the old. What's the connection is a great mystery. But we're surrounded by just so many uh, mysteries. But it is reception into glory. Now we have to stop and ponder this for a moment. The man who all his days has lived in rebellion against God. And the man who right up to this moment in time has rejected Christ as saviour. Is about to be received into glory. Because he gives his request to Christ. Now for anybody who may be here saying well you know what. That's what I'm going to do as well. That's what I'm going to do. All I need is a handful of minutes before I die. And I'll sort it all out. Then can I just say, don't do that. Whatever you do, don't do that. Because you cannot guarantee for one second that you're going to have five minutes before you die. Far less a handful of minutes. You just can't do it. This man is late. This man is very late. But he's not too late. He's not too late. We don't know what's going to transpire in life's journey for any of us. But we can get ourselves to the moment where it is just too late. Whatever you do, don't do that. So how do you sort things out? You sort them out the exact same way as this man got it sorted out. He cried from the depth of his need to the Christ that God provided for him. He's got mountains of sin in his life. 
He's rebelled against God all his days. He's rejected the Savior for so long. But he's come to his senses. And he's cried to the Christ of the cross. And that's why today his soul after 2,000 years is still in the presence of Christ the King. That is the glory of the gospel. That's it in a nutshell. And may God grant that we would all be enveloped by the love of Christ displayed at Calvary. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we come to this area of scripture and it gives us great hope. It reminds us that you came into this world to rescue rebels and to receive into glory the rejects and the refuse of uh, the human race. We thank you for the hope you give us and we pray that our response would be to honour you in an appropriate way as we go along life's journey. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing once again in this Psalm 107 and at verse 29 it's page 384 of uh, the Psalter, the storm is changed into a calm at his command and will so that the waves which raged before now quiet are and still. Then are they glad because at rest and quiet now they be. So to the haven he then brings which they desire to see. Verses 29 to 31. The storm is changed into a calm.
now may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one both now and forevermore. Amen.